0: Welcome to Advent at New Hope. I hope you're paying attention. Let's pray. God, you see the depths of our heart and you love us the same. Hallelujah. We are so grateful for this season of waiting and hoping the annual reminder that you came to our world because you see the broken and the good, because you know we can't fix it, but you can, because you promised restoration, and because you keep your promises. Give us ears to hear, hearts to know, and feet to follow. And God, as I talk this morning, Make what is yours stick and what is mine fall away, please. Amen. So, once upon a time, there lived a man named Ben. Ben was a solid guy, honest, hardworking, and generous. He didn't have a ton of family, but he did what he could to maintain a, a good relationship with his his one closest relative, the um, son of his beloved uh, deceased sister. Even though, to be honest, the kid was really flighty and resistant to his attempts at help and advice. That worried him. And it kind of annoyed him, too. I mean, really, it was like Groundhog's Day, right? Every time he saw this nephew, the kid was broke and couldn't hold down a job, but he was always distracted with some shiny new idea. Hey, let's talk about this thing, right? And he had to be like, buddy, focus. What are, we, what are you doing this month about like food and rent? What's the plan? Can we, the guy just didn't get it. But he tried, you know, cause he loved him. And he helped the guy financially sometimes, but Sometimes help isn't helpful when you're just enabling someone to keep on not getting it together, you know? He hadn't had great luck in the romance department. One, great love. Or at least that's what he thought at the time. Once the reality of grown-up life kind of settled in, she announced herself no longer happy. Apparently, that's a good enough reason to break promise for some people. And she left. Since then, he'd been a little gun-shy. Friend-wise, the guy was an introvert, which, as a thousand BuzzFeed listicles have reminded us all, is not a sin or a personality defect. In fact, it's, it's kind of endearing, right? I mean, and it's, it's really a sign of emotional maturity to know yourself and to be able to say, like, listen, I know you guys are really having fun with your big, loud thing over there, um, and I'm happy for you, I'm not into it, I'm, I'm just going to go to the same kind of quiet pub where I like the food, and I'm going to eat my dinner in peace, process my day, and then go home. He had really clicked with one guy, Jake. Jake was a good friend. They built a business together, and it it was a really wonderful partnership. They had a lot of mutual respect, they really had each other's backs, they really were were both decent, honest, hardworking, solid guys. It had been a good season of life. But after Jake passed away, there wasn't really a replacement. So Ben found himself shouldering the business on his own. And guys, running a small business is not easy. It's pretty relentless. If you aren't hustling, money's not coming in. If money's not coming in, you can't keep paying your employees. And if you can't pay your employees, they can't eat. It's an enormous responsibility, and one that Ben took seriously. The business was reasonably successful, but keeping it that way required a lot of self-discipline. He didn't ask a lot for himself. No fancy clothes, or big house, or extravagant lifestyle. Still, he made a point to be decent and generous with his employees. Salary, paid vacation, office perks, stuff like that. And, of course, they were allowed to go home at quitting time. Now, as a business owner, he usually worked longer hours than they did. And, obviously, as a decent guy, he gave to charity. I mean, you're getting a sense of his personality, probably not surprising that he had a strong preference for larger, established organizations. He he felt like they did a better job of sort of coupling support and accountability. Uh, when giving aid, not a, a... he liked to give orderly throughout the year, right, in a disciplined fashion, Um, not a big fan of, like, the random knock on the door, hey, give money to my pet cause, what do you mean no, how could you be like that, especially when those asks seem to be for something silly that served people's wants instead of their their real day-to-day needs, you know? Now, to be candid, Ben had had a pretty grumpy day, but really in context, he kind of deserves a break on that front. He had this lingering cold. We've all been there, right? But he was trying to soldier through because, you know, small business owner. And then he spent his whole workday getting interrupted by other people's petty priorities and all he wanted to do was finish up and go home and rest. I mean, raise your hand if you honestly have not had a day like that. Oh, And at one point somebody decided to play loud music outside of his office, which is just awesome for headaches, you know. He might have been a little harsh with that guy, and he knew, out of context, he might have seemed like a bit of a fun hater at that point. Um, but people, like, how much can you ask of a person, really? So Ben finally gets home at the end of this really hard day, and he's tired, and he feels a little put upon, and, but he knows he gave it his best, right? So he settles in for some rest, and he dozes off in his chair, And that's when the ghost of Jacob Marley shows up. Because decent, honest, hardworking Ben is Ebenezer Scrooge. But see, he doesn't know that yet. I mean, he knows its name. But he doesn't know that anything is wrong with the way he's living his life. He doesn't know that he's being a Scrooge. Or if he does, he thinks that Scrooging is a sign of wisdom, and prudence, he, he actually spends the, the first sort of part of the story trying to get everybody else on board. Helpful. And I, I'm not trying to like retcon this into the story. It, he is so sure that everything is fine that when Marley's ghost first shows up with the chains, and starts wailing about his misspent life, Scrooge tries to correct him. Right? He says, Marley, you were always such a good man of business. Marley shoots that down pretty quickly. His old friend is not there for platitudes. He is there to deliver the wake-up call. I missed this point as a kid. Uh, I also missed this point as a 37-year-old until a few months ago when Joe told me that this was the part of the Christmas carol that I was supposed to talk about, uh, the, the boring, useless part. And I, I think I even told Joe when he first proposed it, I totally see how this series idea works for weeks two, three, and four, uh, but wh- what am I supposed to talk about? Am I just supposed to tell people in weeks two, three, and four we're going to talk about some stuff? Because that's what Marley does. The way I saw it, the plot of A Christmas Carol went something like, Screwjack's like a jerk. Marley shows up and says, Things are about to happen. A ghost shows up, provides some perspective about Scrooge's past. Another ghost shows up, provides some perspective about Scro- Scrooge's present. Another ghost shows up, provides some perspective about Scrooge's future. Scrooge reacts to the perspective provided by ghosts one, two, and three. And then, you know, Tiny Tim tells everyone Merry Christmas or something. M- Marley seemed like filler. Right? Well, why not just skip to ghost number one? So I had to read it again. And, that, and that's when I met Ben, uh, who I had a lot more in common with than, than Ebenezer Scrooge. And I realized that in order for Ben to hear anything that the ghosts of past, present, and future had to say, he needed to hear from Marley first. I'll read a bit. <clears throat> Again, the specter, that's Marley, raised a cry and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it, link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as as full and heavy and as long as this seven Christmas eves ago. You've labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cable. But he could see nothing. Jacob... He said imploringly, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. And then Marley goes on for a while, just moaning about how miserable it is to be a ghost, how painful it is to sort of spend all his time thinking about how, Poorly he spent his life, how wrong his priorities were. Back to the book. Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I I will, said Scrooge, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray. Pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. That is no light part of my penance, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer, You are always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank you. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost's had done. is, Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visit, said the ghost, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Uh, Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Hinted Scrooge. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour, and the third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. So Marley was the, the wake-up call, right? The, the painfully necessary, painfully blunt wake-up call. A wake-up call like those alarm clocks they make for heavy sleepers that get progressively louder and then roll off your nightstand and around the room until you actually get out of bed and turn it off. Like that kind of wake-up call. See, Scrooge... Needed to understand three things, which, by the way, since we're going to spend some time here, if you want to go back and read this story, because it is pretty brilliant, it's free on the internet. Like, if you go to Project Gutenberg, you can just read it. Just FYI. Okay. So, Scrooge needed to understand three things in Marley's little conversation there. Number one, everything is not okay, right? Like, the way your life is heading is not okay. You are not who you think you are there is more broken here than you realize number two there's no quick fix number three there is hope so pay attention and that is the message for us today in this first week of advent we'll break it down number one everything is not okay i know none of you are scrooge scrooge is a caricature but you may be ben maybe your thing isn't like efficiency and business and sensibility maybe it's some sort of other priority but but there's a a lot of us walking around kind of aiming in the wrong direction and totally oblivious that we are aiming in the wrong direction. We're sort, of, ooh, we're sort of twiddling along in our lives with these totally workable narratives about why our behavior is mostly fine or to the extent it's, it's not really fine, it's at least justifiable in context. Uh, and, and we may just be like missing the whole... I had one of those seasons a couple years ago, I was trying to keep a lot of plates spinning and satisfy a lot of competing priorities and in order to do that I, I was really pushing for efficiency and I, I knew I was being a little brusque and a little quicker to jump out of conversations and emotionally disengage than usual, but um, I thought it was a necessary and reasonable exchange in order to get the jobs done. And and I, I really thought that what God and people needed from me was for me to, to get the jobs done. So I, I thought I was doing it well. And for a few months, my house was consistently clean, which to be honest, I've never really cared about, but apparently it's important to people and signing you of your life together. So, you know, victory. Um, and then Mother's Day came and my son, Will, who was five at the time, came home from preschool with one of those little all-about-mommy questionnaires. Uh, Will's a, a quiet kid, but he's pretty perceptive. And so he did a good job. He got my age right and my name. And his pick for my favorite food was a, a little quirky, but in context, it meant that he had like, really understood a, a story I had told about a food that I loved. Um, the questioner asked what mommy was very good at his answer was yelling. It asked what my favorite thing to drink was, and he said, grown up drinks. It was funny, except that it wasn't. My world spun a little, and I saw me from his view. It wasn't pretty. I was distracted, impatient, and snippy. There was a lot of heavy sighing. I was hiding behind a phone, not making eye contact. I was clutching a big cup like a lifeline, caffeine during the day, wine before bed. And yes, there was yelling too. I thought I was being a good mom as long as dinner was made and laundry was done and the birthday party was planned and everyone had the appropriate matching seasonal jammies and whatever other ridiculous tasks parents are supposed to do. But those things were crowding out delight, affection, and warmth. In retrospect, I I do think some grown-ups tried to warn me, like, hey, is everything okay? What's going on? But see, I I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't know that everything wasn't okay. I needed the bluntness of a five-year-old to give it to me straight. I needed a wake-up call in order to understand the magnitude of, of the change that was needed. There's some book, I don't know, it's something about business management or something that explains that we tend to see our own shortcomings as like the result of circumstances and other people's shortcomings as the result of character defects, right? So like if, if, if you don't put your grocery cart in the little cart corral, it, it's because you need to re-examine your life priorities and, and maybe you're like a self-centered deadbeat, I don't know. And, um, but on the very rare occasion when I am unable to put my cart in, in the cart corral. It, it's probably because of some conflagration of circumstances, like I'm late for a work call, and some kid is in the car crying, and, and I have a cold, and my coat is in the car, blah, blah, blah. And at those times, people who choose to judge people for leaving their carts in a reasonable and safe alternative location really need to check their hearts and stop being so judgy, you know? But this isn't really about the cute ways that we're all imperfect. This is about the fact that we find ourselves fundamentally misaligned with the heart of God. It's called sin. and We think a lot about sin as a noun. I have now sinned. I committed a sin. I write it in a note card, and I add it to a stack of note cards. These are my sins. Um, and, And maybe, you know, Sins are just actions we could stop if we tried a little harder or jotted the right Bible verse on a sticky note next to the computer. Reminder to Darcy, in your anger, do not sin, even if the conference call is going in circles and the mute button is on. Original sin, this idea of continuous and ongoing sin, gets kind of a bad rap these days because it seems like it's mean to babies or something, I don't know. But the idea is that we are born misaligned with the heart of God and that there is in our lives this ongoing problem because we are not heading the right way. And the whole narrative of Scripture is that we we can't just buckle down and fix it or stop it, but God can, and he promised he would, and that is why Christmas happens and God breaks in, right? Right? Which brings us to point two, there is not a quick fix. Guys, I am an optimist and an Oprah fan. And if I could just hug and affirm and love everyone into heaven, I absolutely would. Me first. I wish we didn't have to talk about hard things. I wish all the theology we needed was the cute, sunshiny kind. You can put one of those framed quotes with like the scripty font and the flowers around the sides. but that's not the story, right? I know I've asked this before because it blew my mind when I heard it, but what is Jesus's central message? Like, what did Jesus tell people? Does anybody know? Can you sum it up in one sentence? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when I heard that, I really um, ran through the whole gospels trying to disprove it and find one I liked better. Uh, something less gloomy. Like, I really wanted Jesus' fundamental message to be a little bit more like, I love you guys, you guys love each other, I'll be back, the end, right? Like, that's how I want the story to go, but that's not how the story goes. And that's what Scrooge wanted Jacob Marley to tell him. Right, think about some of the things he said. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. Tell me it's gonna be okay. Don't be hard upon me. And then when Marley tells Scrooge he's come to help, Scrooge is like, oh, I knew you are a good friend. And then Marley's next line is, so three ghosts are going to haunt you, right? And Scrooge's reaction was, is, is that the hope that you were speaking of? It gets worse. The ghosts are going to come one at a time, spread out over multiple days. And what does Scrooge ask? Can I have it all at once and be done with it? I'm team Ben on this one. I wish it was easy. And I, I don't I don't want to confuse the gospel here. So salvation, the process by which, you know, God removes our sin and makes us blameless, that is immediate and permanent, and I'm not trying to confuse that, so let's be clear. It is the work of God, not of man. But what we're talking about now in Advent is, is this larger narrative of, of God's story in our world of, of God creating us and loving us, of us becoming broken because of sin, of God promising that he is going to come into the world and take over again as king and that he is going to set wrong things right. And that is a story that we think can change your life. Just like Marley knew that, that if, if Scrooge really heard the story of his own life, if he really listened to these ghosts, that that story would change his life. But if a story is going to change your life, you can't skim it. You have to marinate in it. You have to read it more than once. You have to sit with it you have to go slowly you need to soak it in it's not painless and it doesn't happen by sweeping the hard bits under the rug god is turning us back in the right direction right we're misaligned and he's kind of recalibrating us but that's a continuous process. That happens over and over again. And in order for us to participate in it, we, we need to be hearing him. We need to be rehearing the story and, and, and understanding where we're supposed to be headed. And we need to do that over and over again. That's what the Christian life is, right? That's what sanctification is. After I got Will's Mother's Day craft, um, I confessed to my kids that I was off mark, and I declared it the summer of love. And we pulled out 1 Corinthians 13, and we started talking about it a whole lot. And it turns out one summer is is not long enough uh, to really get 1 Corinthians 13, so we kind of Bled that into fall, and then it turns out that like six months is not really long enough to get First Corinthians 13. I think at that point I still was uh, forgetting the line, "Love is slow to anger," every time. The irony of that was not lost on my children. Um, so then I declared love the word of the year for 2018, and and in our family we've been living First Corinthians 13 for a year and a half now because we need to. And it's changed us. It's not the end of the story, like we still have some work to do and there's still some yelling, but we have realigned and it didn't happen because of one moment it happened because of a thousand moments. It happened because of a process of, of letting the story soak in over and over again. And that brings us to point three. There, there is hope. Really. Because This story of God breaking into our world isn't just a story, right? It it really happened. He really did. He's really real. He's really in charge. And he really does keep his promises. And so we can always have hope no matter where we are, what's going on, how big the problem is, That the restoration is coming. It is. We just have to look in the right direction, you know. Psalm 33, 16 through 22, says this No king is saved by the size of his army. he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We wait in hope. And that is Advent. right? It, it's it's this season that we put on the calendar every year where we recreate the wait, the expectant wait, the hopeful wait for, for God to break into the world, for Jesus to come, for this, the story of cosmic reconciliation that God promised to really take on flesh. And, and we know that Christmas is coming, right? I mean, we like literally know because it's December 25th. We can count it down. Um, but, But we practice the wait because our hearts need to rerun that story every year. We need to remember that it is absolutely going to happen, but it is not immediate, and we need to live through it. We have things that we need to work out in our own life stories to help us understand really why Jesus needed to come for us, what the stakes were, what it means, and how we live because of it. And so, you will not be visited by three ghosts, but you will be visited by three sermons um, over the next three weeks. And we're, we're going like, to do business, to quote Joe, with our past, with our present, and with our future, as we ready ourselves to respond to the birth of Jesus. I know December is wildly busy, um, but I encourage you all to remember the difference between Advent and Christmas, and, and to practice Advent in your homes through the week, just like we're practicing it here. Practice the wait. Practice the expectancy. Practice hearing the story come to you slowly over time because that's how stories change us, you know? And now we'll pray. God, we do wait and hope for you. We know and we ask you to help us remember that you are our help and our shield. Let our hearts rejoice in you and let us trust in your holy name only. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen.